This episode is sponsored by Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about Anchor, um, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and Ashley and I can definitely personally vouch for this. First of all, it saves you a bunch of time, so we don't really talk about this, but Ashley and I both have full-time jobs, and we don't really live close by each other, so we just get together once a week, every week, and talk about our podcast, and Anchor.fm helps us a lot to get everything out there and ready to go for you all to listen to with not a lot of time needed. So first of all, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. There are also creation tools right in Anchor that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or from your computer. Also, Anchor is free. And even though you don't have to pay any money, it actually allows you to make money from your own podcast, even without a minimum number of listeners. It's everything you could possibly need to make a podcast for free in one place. So if you can't already tell, we both love Anchor. And if you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, listeners, and welcome to Above the Wing, a podcast to bring together all aspects of the aviation community, including engineers, journalists, mechanics, pilots, and even casual hobbyists. I'm your co-host, Kim. And I'm your co-host, Ashley. We'll talk about all things aviation, from current events to new products and airplanes, industry trends and everything in between. Looking at our first in the news article this week, uh, Sikorsky is looking to the future with their new system, Matrix. In collaboration with the Pentagon's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, Sikorsky Aircraft recently completed the first autonomous and uncrewed S-70 Black Hawk flight. This milestone mission lasted 30 minutes at the U.S. Army's Fort Campbell base in Kentucky. Sikorsky sees the Matrix hardware as a game changer for high-risk civil missions, including nighttime aerial firefighting and overwater search and rescues. Sikorsky is currently working with the FAA to certify the system, which uses a plethora of onboard sensors, LIDAR, and cameras mated to proprietary hardware and software. The system comes with a kit that converts virtually any aircraft to varying degrees of add-on fly-by-wire control that the company likens to lane assist on cars. And so I thought that was pretty crazy technology that they're starting to really advance, Um, especially the part about like that this could potentially be transferred to other like aircraft and systems. Um, So this is definitely an interesting one to follow and see where they take it. Yeah, I think I mentioned this in our last episode because there was a news article about SAF. Um, but I really like seeing companies that have made a name for themselves like throughout history. Like Sikorsky is a very historic and prominent company. Right. I like seeing them kind of like uh, adapt to the times and come up with creative ways to like improve and innovate their projects. I think yeah. it's really interesting. I agree. Now moving on to our next Headline, the National Aeronautic Association awards Wally Funk with the Stinson Trophy. On March 17th to March 19th, the NAA hosted the 33rd Annual Women in Aviation International Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. The Stinson Trophy recognizes, quote, an outstanding and enduring contribution to the role of women in the fields of aviation, aeronautics, space, or related sciences. 
Wally Funk was recognized for blazing trails for women in aviation and spaceflight and inspiring the next generation of aerospace professionals as a pioneering member of the Mercury 13, a flight instructor, an air safety investigator, and the oldest woman to fly in space. And we had a whole episode dedicated to Wally Funk, so I was really happy to see this. She's a really awesome woman. And upon receiving the award, Wally Funk thanked the organization and exclaimed, quote, I love my life. And I feel like that is very Wally Funk-esque. <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is definitely uh, some well-deserved recognition. Mm-hmm. Looking to our next headline, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association, or GAMA, has just released the global shipment totals of uh, aircraft sales from the year 2021. Business and general aviation fixed-wing shipments uh, were up across the board last year, reaching a total of just over 2,600 units worth over $25 billion. Uh, Gamma reported that business jet, turboprop, and piston electric deliveries for 2021 were up uh, from 2020, and as a result, billings for all those aircrafts increased uh, as well. The Gamma CEO said about this increase, quote, the strength and the tenacity of the general aviation industry have provided a strong foundation for the industry to rebound from pandemic-related setbacks with a powerful showing in 2021. So it's really awesome to see that, you know, after the, you know, sort of worst times of the pandemic, that general aviation sales are back up. And hopefully that means, you know, more people are getting out and flying. So always awesome to see. I think so, too. I always love it when more people can experience the love of flying. (laughs) Now, moving on to our last headline, which is a little bit more grim. A Chinese airliner carrying 132 people crashes in the southern Guangxi region. On March 21st, 2022, China Eastern Airlines was flying a Boeing 737-800 and it crashed into the mountains in the southern Guangxi region. There were 123 passengers on board and nine crew members. The aircraft was en route from Kunming to Guangzhou, and the aircraft lost contact with emergency services before plummeting towards the ground, dropping 24,000 feet. If you've been following aviation news, it's likely that you've been you, you've seen the videos circling the internet of this plane just dropping essentially from the sky, which is which was really really scary to watch. Eyewitnesses say that they saw the plane falling, quote, vertically from the sky. And we're recording this episode on March 22nd, 2022, so one day after the crash. And as of today, the cause of the crash is still unknown. But I'm really hoping that, you know, they are able to recover the black boxes and all the flight data to figure out exactly what happened. But my condolences to the family of the passengers and the crew. It was just a terrible accident. Yeah, definitely really bad news, and hopefully uh, hopefully they get some answers soon. Mm-hmm. I agree. And unfortunately, I feel like this is a perfect segue into the yes. bulk of our episode. Um, as you can probably tell by the title of today's episode, we'll be discussing the second half of Netflix's documentary, Downfall. Uh, This documentary is about Boeing and focuses on the 737 MAX crashes. So the second half of the documentary where we picked back up um, was continuing to talk about the transition into, you know, Boeing being in uh, McDonnell Douglas's hands 
And it resulted in sort of a shift in where their headquarters were and how a lot of things were operating on, um, you know, the floors where these airplanes were being built. Um, A lot of people who worked on production lines were speaking about how their quality assurance teams uh, downsized dramatically. Um, I remember one woman saying it went from like 15 people a shift to one person a shift. Um, and that corners were being cut and, um, you know, there was really no oversight as to what was being done. It was, it was really just, you know, doing the, I don't want to say the the bare minimum, but, you know, just sort of doing what had to be done. And then instead of getting it approved by someone or whatever, just sort of moving on. So there were definitely some red flags right from the start of the transition that the hands-on employees who were working in production were already seeing and, and frustrated with. Mm-hmm. And I remember, because they interviewed a lot of different people who had different connections with Boeing, and some of them included employees at the time of the merger. And one person, former employee, he said, imagine going into work one day and you have new bosses and you work for a different company or something of that respect. And I think that was really how everybody felt. They really felt like, like a rug was pulled out from under them when the merger right. happened. There is, like you said, a huge shift from like a quality engineering company to Wall Street. Right. Like all the executives cared about was green is good. So they, mm. you know, like you said, they achieved the green is good by yeah. cutting quality engineers and things like that. And it was so jarring. Like that's not really something you really hear about I feel like the documentary really gave us a really interesting insider's look on how it felt to be at Boeing at the time and as an engineer it made me really freaked out like yeah (laughs) I like imagine going into work one day and feeling like that and I was like oh my god like that must have been so jarring and like uncomfortable yeah one person put it really interestingly they said that the shift of the corporate offices being moved completely far away from the production lines was so that these decisions could be made completely separate from the engineers and the quality people. Like they literally wanted to be physically separated from them so that they weren't, weren't, uh, you know, stop holding them from making decisions. Yeah, that was so, like, when they blatantly said that, yeah. I, was, I think I audibly gasped. <laughs> like, that's that's ridiculous. Like, you're running right. an engineering company, and you're just gonna, like, like not take the engineer's opinions into consideration. That makes zero sense to me. Yeah. It was crazy. That was a really crazy point. Yeah, and another crazy thing was when um, they had, like, an undercover camera, and they showed clips from that in the documentary, and... Um, I don't remember exactly what they said, but the person who I think was holding the camera or like, like maybe the camera was like in their pocket or something. I don't know. He said that some part wasn't installed last night and the person he was talking to was so shocked and like, you could definitely see that he was like, he knew that something like that and a, a mistake like that was really not okay. Right. Yeah. These people were sensing things spot on, were like noticing these things were out of the ordinary and knew that it uh, very highly affected their jobs and like the success of the build. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I think one of the employees also talked about potential retaliation for Mm -hmm. those who spoke up. He said, like, those who spoke up either left the company or, like, were forced to leave. And Mm -hmm. that is also not good at all. Like, when you think about, like, I don't know, even, like, doing a project at school, Mm -hmm. like, and someone says something that may not agree with you and the idea that this corporation took on the mindset that, like, you can't disagree with us. You, like, have to leave. Like, that's just, like... I feel like that's something a toddler would do in, like, an (laughs) elementary school project. No, it is, yeah. And it was so shocking to, like, to hear that, especially because I'm sure that the uh, concerns that the employees were bringing up were intended to improve their product. But in the executive's eyes, the only improvement of their product was how can we sell more? How can we make more money? And slowing down production was not an option to achieve that goal. These concerns were coming from people who, one, were actually the experts on right. run and work and know the ins and outs and knows the safety repercussions of what could happen if, uh, you know, something goes wrong. Whereas, just like you said, the executives just were so skewed in their priorities. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. In order to run a successful company, you need executives with a business background, but you also need to take the engineers and, you know, technical opinion into consideration. You can't have like only one. You need a Mm. good balance of both, you know. Right. So that was really uh, upsetting for sure. And the CEO too, like, I don't know. Watching him like in those interviews and he was like stone cold. Like mm-hmm. he was an executive yeah. to the core. Like yep. his soul was an yeah. executive. I know. He, they The documentary interviewed um, some of the families who had who like their family members were passengers on the max crashes and it was so sad. Like they had never been reached out to personally by Boeing at all they have never heard from them personally I think um a father was saying a father of victim was Mm -hmm. saying like we've seen them apologize on tv to cameras but they've never apologized to us and I was like Mm -hmm. like do they understand that human lives are at stake like do they just see green and red and like that's it I know it was really crazy to see like in like when they went to court over it all just like how many people showed, you know, all the families were there and showed up and were present and just like real, like no recognition of that from, you know, Boeing. Yeah. And what was so moving in that scene too, because they like played back the recordings of the court hearings, um, the family members who attended, they brought like huge photos of their loved ones that had passed away in the crash And I don't remember which congressman or senator asked the family members to stand up. But during the questioning with the CEO at the time, they he paused the questioning and he told all the family members that were in attendance to stand up and hold up the photos of their loved ones. Yeah. And that I think that was the only time that Dennis Muhlenberger, Mm -hmm. I think his name was. I think that was the only time he like that was the closest probably he's ever been to looking at the people who were affected by the crashes. Right. One of the family members mentioned that he like 
sort of glanced over them like earlier, just like sort of on his route, like, you know, to his seat or whatever. But yeah, it wasn't until I think it was Senator Blumenthal actually from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, call actually called the attention to them. But yeah, I mean, even then, then it's not like there was any, you know, commentary or anything from, from the Boeing CEO. Yeah. And there's just, there's so much disconnect. And I think the latter half of the documentary really highlighted the disconnect between Boeing, the engineering company, and Boeing, the business. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, engineers are often stereotyped as, like, (laughs) can't be socialized with or whatever. But I think in this case, the engineers were, like, more personable than the huge, like, Wall Street executives. Like, they actually cared. Well, yeah, I mean, because they they knew the repercussions behind, you know, what goes, what can go wrong when... yeah you know, their, their jobs aren't done correctly or, you know, you're just, uh, you know, taking shortcuts yeah. and stuff like that. And like rush to deadlines. Oh, yeah. that reminds me. There was um, one of the people who were who was interviewed in the documentary. They told a story about uh, foreign object debris or FOD. Um, mm-hmm. That's like a huge thing in shop floors and stuff to make sure that there's no FOD or you detect FOD mm-hmm. before it gets into the product. And he said there was a whole ladder left inside the aircraft right yeah like stuff like that just cannot how can you how can you miss a ladder yeah how are you how are things like that being overlooked i know it was it was terrible yeah and then like the ending was like not even close to satisfying i feel like i know they just had like words on the screen and they like summarized um like what happened to the ceo he was like pushed to resign and he like still left with like a ton of money and of course. Yeah. And like Boeing never was charged with anything criminal. They ended mm-hmm. up just settling and also paying a ton of money. And I don't know. I don't really know if there's a good way to hold them accountable too, because Boeing is such a large aerospace company in the US and they're great. Right. I mean, like their current status, which they worked up towards, and this was probably like the whole goal of the executives at the time, is that they're a pretty big part of the U.S. economy and the stock market. Mm-hmm. So if they were to go downhill, I think other portions of the economy would feel it too. So it's just so messy. and I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of that too, in the beginning part of the second half doc- of the documentary, I think it that was when sort of mentioned this as well, was that at the time of when the max was being, um, you know, was being brought into production and all, was when um, Airbus was, yeah. up, was the big up and coming competitor, and so Boeing was doing everything they could to beat out this other big name that was that was up and coming um, and was their competition. So that was a really interesting side of this too was that Airbus was finally starting to make it big and was drawing the eyes of all their large customers. Um, so Boeing cut some very strange corners to create this, uh, you know, 737 MAX mm-hmm. to compete. Yeah. And when they described the corners that they cut, oh my God, mm-hmm. that evidence was like, you couldn't argue that yeah, right. Boeing led to its own downfall. Right. Because there's like memos and everything that say like the MCAS system was a completely different system. Yeah. But they couldn't tell that to anyone because they were selling the MAX under the illusion that it wouldn't require pilots any further training. 
which would mean that it would take longer to certify, which would mean that it would take longer for aircraft or airline companies to actually start flying them, which meant less money for the company. So ultimately, the executives were like, just sweep it under the rug. Yeah, it was just so shady, like not calling it MCAS, calling it something else and like ignoring these reports and, you know, of like how unsafe it was and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also highlighted that there was like, they highlighted this in the first half too, but they talked about how there was a period of time between the first and second crashes and they easily could have like Mm -hmm. grounded it. Right. But they didn't because they didn't want to lose money. And the U.S. was probably, I feel like, one of the few countries that didn't ground it right away. Yeah. And then that's why Boeing was charged with conspiracy (laughs) with the FAA. It was just like Mm -hmm. this whole thing. (laughs) Well, it's crazy, isn't it? Wasn't it between the two crashes that that report came out saying that – before the end of its lifetime, that airplane would yes. see 15 more crashes. Released like, by the FAA. Yeah. And that was after the first, but before the second yes. crash. So, like, why was that not raising red flags? I know. Like, like what were they waiting for? Yeah. It was like so another one to happen to prove it? Like, Well, they did. <laughs> That's yeah, what and happened. And that happened. So, yeah, yeah. That was just crazy. I know. Yeah. I That whole documentary, I feel like, was so well done. I really enjoyed watching it. It was, yeah, it was very well done. It broke it down into very, like, understandable, yeah, like, concepts because it's it's very heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, and it really did a great job of, like, humanizing all the people. Yeah. Which I think is something that wasn't done before because when I was I researching this prior and kind of keeping tabs on everything mm-hmm. while it was happening – like, I just saw numbers, like how many people died um, and stuff like right. that. But when they actually put faces to the names and families to the victims, it really makes yeah. it so much more real. And I really think the Boeing execs need to watch it. They really do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree 100%. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. I couldn't believe that this was so recent. Like, this really happened only a couple years ago. I know. Yeah, it was crazy to see, like, the timeline of all of the different – when it was going through all the different generations of the 737. Like, that was – it was so long ago. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's – I just can't believe that this happened in our lifetime. Like, it shouldn't be acceptable. Like, we're in an era of modern aviation and stuff like this is, like, getting swept under the rug and stuff like that. It shouldn't be – Yeah. shouldn't be like this. I know. All right, moving into our featured photos segment for the week. And a reminder that you can see the photos that we are talking about on our Instagram story highlights. Kim, do you want to show us your photo? Yes. So this is a super wacky photo. It's of a Kraft Aerospace unnamed eVTOL. First of all, it's unnamed, and that kind of caught my eye. I first thought it said unmanned, and then I read it again, and I realized it's unnamed. Um, And then... I looked at the photo again and I was like, how can this fly? (laughs) I don't understand it. I know. That's why I shared it because it looks so ridiculous. There's like two rows of propellers. Um, I I don't really, I don't really understand why they put propellers and not just like an engine there, but hey, it's a cool concept. And it's really weird. Like the, like now that I really look at it, the placement of like the 
top and the bottom row of the propellers, like they start at like the middle of the belly. Yeah. But then go to like the the tail. Yeah. Yes. It's very strange. Yeah, I would like to uh, see see the physics of that, but <laughs> either way. Well, yeah, I was going to say regardless, a very neat photo. Yes, I agree. <laughs> My photo is of Charlie Blackwell Thompson, and they are the Artemis One launch director of um, NASA's Switch launch system, and it has the Orion spacecraft aboard on top of the um, system. And they're looking out at it. And I thought it was cool to put, like, a scale to the system um, to just, like, really put it into perspective of just how massive it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think photos from, like, NASA's control center are really cool, too. Um, so this sort of has that duality. And I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, I agree. I would love to watch a rocket launch. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for tuning in, per usual. If you want more Above the Wing content, you can check out our Instagram at abovethewing.podcast. Thanks for listening.